0: We're here with Dan Shea of Boston Hassle, Bodies of Water Shows, Boston Underground Summit, New England Underground Music Festival, (laughs) DJ Night, Jesus Drinks for Free. You may have seen him on stage or on floor, I should say, in Eyes, Needy Visions, Aykroyd, and many others, I'm sure. Welcome, Dan.
1: Thank you. I am happy to be here. Hell yeah. Uh, at my own house. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Staring That's into easy. the other.
0: <laughs> virtually. We're you're here. We're all here. Together. Virtually
1: all here, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've been keeping up with the hassle site. So seems like, you know, obviously even amongst everything, y'all are still still busting out plenty of uh material and, and underground. Uh, musings and reviews and a bunch of other good stuff that, true, you know, true, um, true. hell yeah. Um, yeah. Other, other than the hassle stuff, well, what have you been up to?
1: Funny you should ask. Um, no. Um, working. Uh, I've been working nine to five the, the whole COVID time. I never stopped working at work at a women's shelter in Brighton, so uh, no chance of shutting down, Um, and there have been no COVID uh, positive tests over there the whole time, which has been amazing. Awesome. Uh, Awesome. And you know, other than that, uh, hanging with my fam, it's actually my youngest son's birthday today. Oh,
0: happy birthday.
1: Shout out to Ryland, Uh, he's four. Um, All right, showdown. Yep. Um you know, just trying to trying to stay sane, hanging out in the woods, doing some uh you know bedroom recordings and whatnot.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was listening to some of the uh some of the stuff you posted. Some of the solo mm-hmm. some of the solo stuff. Uh I forgot to mention that
1: in my little yeah, tell, roll call. Yeah, <laughs> we're,
2: we're, we're, tell everyone the name.
1: Um well, I have I have a couple of uh, I have a couple of solo uh, recording uh, um, endeavors that have been going on for a few years. Uh, one's called the the circuitous Dan Shea, Uh and that's kind of a catch-all umbrella for uh, anything that I record solo that isn't um, more punk and metal oriented. And I have a different. I have a different name for when I do that kind of stuff uh, which is called uh, weird energy. So, right. So I've been I've been working on uh, I've been working on tracks on occasion, you know, when um, inspiration shines upon me and when there's a few minutes here and there. I've been uh, trying to pump out some lo-fi uh, garbage for the internet.
0: Yeah, I really dug like the weird energy. Uh, the man. one the band, band yeah on band camp yeah 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 totally yeah. um is that like I, we saw you at uh the newton underground um whatever uh new paths uh-huh. the james course thing uh, yeah yeah i remember that that was a rough night man. solo i liked it man yeah uh,
1: i had some problems that night i had some tuning issues but but, but what are you asking is that I mean, I guess I guess some of those songs I've never recorded I played two songs that night but I've never recorded them. yeah, you. know, yeah. I have yeah, I, I guess that would be under the securist and Che uh okay. Um moniker if I ever recorded them. Which maybe Was that I will. Singer songwriter? I, like. uh, I mean, yeah, though I mean those tunes were more of that ilk, like a folk folk yeah. rock. But um I mean, really, I use that, I use that name for, like, uh, any of my just solo recordings, any of my demos uh, that aren't, like I was saying before, that aren't, like, more punk or metal oriented.
0: Um, mm, right.
1: So it's like a catch-all, really. So, I mean, some of it's singer-songwriter, some of it's alternative, um, you know, in otherwise various experiments, whatever might happen.
0: Yeah, uh, I was going to say, it was different from the, the weird energy.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. When the hell did you start playing music? Um, probably around uh, 14. I, I, I played saxophone, actually, before that. Um, and I still hypothetically played saxophone. But uh, I do not currently have a saxophone. Um. Although I have been looking into buying this, forget what it's called. It's like a fake saxophone that kind of sounds like a real saxophone, a real alto anyway. It's like, it's made of like piping or something. um, You know, um, the plastic pipes. I don't know if you've ever seen like people use that kind of stuff like a bassoon or a saxophone. Anyway, um, I started playing, you know, I started playing saxophone in grade school or whatever. Um, and I've, I've done, I've played it in a few bands, but the last saxophone I bought uh, actually got stolen out of uh, the White House back in the day, and uh, I haven't had one since. Oh, damn. But uh, yeah, I started playing like, you know, uh, bass guitar and guitar, like probably around 14, you know, after, uh, you know, inspired by Nirvana and stuff. Some friends of mine, uh, you know, started with
0: yeah, I was going to say, because I, I know you were going to shows, or started going to shows as a teenager. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did any, so was it like friends that introduced you to more like underground or like punk stuff, or was it like a was it family or?
1: Certainly not any family, no. Um, <laughs> um, you know. I'll be doing that for my boys, but, uh, nice. Yeah. But, but no, I had nobody in my family show me. I'm I'm the oldest uh, kid in my family too. Ah. So I didn't have any older brothers or sisters who were like, uh, head or anything. Um, yeah. I mean, friends, I mean, this, like, you know, when I was 15, it was 95. So I mean, really the internet had just got going in a, uh, in a uh, normal person sense. Uh, you know, AOL was on the scene, and, uh, oh, God, I can't even remember. Uh, what were the other ones? I can't even remember what they were. But, you know, they're long gone and dead. I mean, I guess right. AOL, AOL might still Napster? be. Napster? Yeah, I mean, that was that was before Napster, you know? I mean, yeah. Napster wasn't until a few years later. Um, I mean, this is really the beginning of... of um, normal people using the internet in any uh regular way uh which is difficult to even kind of fathom now but you know so like um so uh anyway um you know so so anyway the, the internet wasn't set up um or at least that wasn't privy to where you could you know just find information about music on the internet. Um, uh, at that time, so I really um, I got into the underground by f- finding out about some local punk bands, which I was interested in because of Nirvana, because of Green Day, um, and uh, because of you know other grunge stuff. And you know I found bands on the South Shore. Um, and I started going to shows, you know, in weird places on the South shore and, Mm -hmm. you know, then finding, finding out that these bands were taking part in like a, a larger scene, which of course was happening in the city and, uh, you know, by like whatever 95 or whatever, you know, started going to shows, uh, in the city, um, you know, house shows on occasion, but mostly at like the Rat and the Middle East, um, and and most and mostly like straight up like punk shows,
2: almost hardcore.
1: Um, you know, like I didn't really understand hardcore yet. Um, I was the Boston punk scene was was really, uh, I guess I'll say street punk oriented at the time. I, I think the majority of punk music being made was of that ilk. But anyway, I didn't know any better. So, you know, I didn't even, at that point in time, I probably, you know, I, I probably didn't know too much about the uh, historical hardcore scene in Boston. Um, I mean, the first show I ever went to was you know, Murphy's Law. Um, I, I mean, the first, like, the show with the rat I ever went to which was maybe like the first show in the city I went to. Uh, it was Murphy's Law. who's like a pretty legendary New York hardcore band and Toxic Narcotic. It was like a legendary Boston hardcore band, pretty weird band. Um, but I didn't really associate all that with hardcore. I, I didn't have an understanding of, of how hardcore was different than punk or whatever. But anyway, I was more interested. I was more into the punk that was happening, uh, you know, because you could have sing-alongs and, when well, our showcase Showdown, August Spies, the Trouble, picking and thugs, um, all those kinds of bands were uh, in the Boston scene um, that, I feel like punk was in a really low place and so, at that point in time and so that like hardcore bands, punk bands, and various other strains of related music all were playing like the same show, which mm. today you see, you see less of that. Um, because the punk scene has become
0: more stratified. Yeah, I, d- I definitely. Um, I've also i uh, just talking to people. I've heard that that was also like just a completely different thing there, where there's just more people coming out to the shows.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, back then, suddenly the punk shows I was going to. I mean, you know, I didn't know it at the time. But um, you know, now I know just because I'm I'm interested in being in the story and and right. under, understanding of like Boston underground music over the years, and you know I've gone back um, and um, you know and now the internet helps you to know, fill the gaps of your information. But you know right. I didn't know it. at the time like when I when I started going to punk shows in '95, um, you know there was also. It was also like a really weird. Um, maybe, maybe it was like the tail end of it, but it was also like a really weird, like underground move. Well, not really a movement, but it, it, it had it was a movement enough that it had gained a moniker, and the moniker was uh, called Chimp Rock. You ever mm-hmm. hear Ch? You ever hear a Chimp Rock? No. no. Okay. Well, you you guys should really check it out. As, you know, right. being the guys, especially being the guys that you are. Then, Sounds like you're
2: playing yeah. an elaborate prank on us. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: you, you know, um, I I wish, um, but no. Um, so yeah, it, uh, like it got dubbed chimp rock, and um, you know, um, like I was saying, like maybe that was like the last vapors of it, like were going around and on around the time I started getting into the music scene. But I was completely unaware of that. You know, that was happening in clubs and in houses that you know i didn't have information and access to but this is like you, you know the swirlies no oh, okay um <laughs> well a sw- a swirlies um like a like a major influential uh, boston um originated in boston uh, i guess you could say like uh s- some kind of shoegaze um okay. and um they were part of that, and I mean, you know, they still, you know, I don't think anyone in the band or associated with the band still lives in Boston, as which is what always happens with bands who start in Boston. Um, but uh, I mean, the Swirly still, you know, they still t- tour, and they come around, they come around once a year, and they like sell out the St. Clair. Oh wow! So I mean, they're a pretty legendary band. But anyway, I, I bring them up because they were part of the scene. Um, uh, Gurney Farish. Um, oh yeah. Play, yep, play, played with, um, played with your band Glenn at that, uh, parking lot show that I set up. Um, the, under- yeah. the last underground summit, um, maybe not the last ever, but the last Hope one not. as of right
2: now. That was awesome. Uh, yeah.
1: Me, me too. We'll, well, we can touch on that. Um, yeah. yeah. but, um, yeah, Fat Day. You ever hear of Fat Day? Yeah. 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 So Fat Day, you know, uh, I forgot to mention them before but you know so i mean fat day was fat day was a bewildering band to me at 15 um they were one of the bands that i had heard on the so also a big thing for me was whrb the record hospital because we got it um down in weymouth where i grew up we could get it on the terrestrial airwaves mm. and you know and um back in those days i, th- I think it was even better than it's been probably ever since, because the guys from Fat Day were still at Harvard, and so they were still involved with (laughs) running the station. But um, anyway, I I totally heard Fat Day and Showcase Showdown on that radio and heard heard a lot of other music via that. I I used to tape those radio shows, um, you know, uh, like overnight, you know, stay up late and listen to that shit. Um, But anyway, Fat Day was like sort of like straddled the punk scene and this whole Chimp Rock thing, as far as I understand it, you know, um, and <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, Fat Day is a hardcore band, not a punk band, but you know, they're they're like the most bizarre punk uh, hardcore band, um, you know, ever, especially as they existed, uh, you know, during the uh, nearing the end of their days. Although, I mean, I guess they were still playing shows almost 10 years later when i had a house um so i guess that's not really the end of the days but anyway um yeah and, and then beyond all that there, you know there was like a noise rock scene in boston and when nobody knows about that and like around that time like early 90s mid 90s oh wow um, oh, um you know like all these bands um uh, there's there's actually an amazing. Um, uh, you guys know Colin Langens is. Uh, no. no. <laughs> He's um, he he was one of the guys in the in that band USA is a monster. Um, okay, that sounds know? familiar. Yeah. Yeah, they, they they put out records on Load Records and other shit, right. but um.
2: No monsters. I know USA.
1: Hey. Um, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, he, he did an awesome podcast, uh, that we republished on the, um, pastel site, uh, a couple years back because he, he, um, he met, he met the other guy from the USA as a monster. Um, and that band didn't start in Boston, but they had, they had earlier bands, uh, this band called Bull Roar who I actually saw at a basement show, probably around that time, 95, 96. Um, and uh, anyway, he, he did this awesome podcast. that You guys should check out. Uh, yeah. You can find cool. it through the, the hassle website. And, um, and yeah, basically total. a, basically he's, you know, he's just going through all these uh, Boston noise rock bands from the early nineties to the mid nineties, who like nobody talks about. It's kind of like a lost era of, um, noise rock in Boston, like Cudgel, Luca Brassi, Slughog, um, and a whole bunch of other bands.
2: Did and they get a compilation that came out? Or, no, or this I, is like too underground for compilations still?
1: Well, actually, it's, um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I don't think there was ever like a like this is a noise rock scene compilation. If there is, I don't know about it and I'd like to hear it, but uh, that Chimp Rock uh, that I was talking about before, there actually is a compilation for that really um, yeah it's it 's called like chimp um, you can find it on discogs if you you know if you just type chimp, chimp rock compilation into google i 'm sure you can find it too but um, uh, yeah there's like a I you know I, I covered it um, you know it's, it was on vinyl i don 't have it, but there was like some there was some sort of compilation with like a trillion bands on it. Um, they kind of ran down that scene I mean this is like again like I mean I'm sure we'll get into this as we further this discussion but uh, you know we're just trying to you know we started by talking about the music that I got into the underground through um, and I just you know I I feel it prudent to mention that there was also all this other underground music that I didn't even know about um, and that nobody knows about Uh, except the people who are maybe part of those scenes. And that's part of the sad story of Boston uh, Mm. is that there's, is that there's no institutional memory here. I mean, you know, there is some people like myself um, and like some others, but uh, there's, there's a lack of institutional memory um, for these communities, which is really sad because if people if people were um, more easily able to access this kind of stuff and, you know, and grew up in the area knowing that there was this rich culture that's always existed, then, you know, they might be more motivated to um, make a similar rich culture of their own. Mm. But uh, it's not the case. I mean, th- obviously, that's what we try to do through the hassle, essentially. But, um, right. but you know, I mean... Uh, it needs to be more than that, you know.
2: It's one of the um, many vessels that should exist.
1: Yeah, you know,
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think well, do you do you think like are you saying that there's in other cities you feel like that they have way more of a respect for their past and more it's documented better than in uh, other cities?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's respect. Uh, but um, I think it's a documented, okay, and uh, be remembered. Now, there may have been document. I'm sure there's documents for all these scenes we're talking about. Sure.
2: Uh, what do you mean um, by documents?
1: oh uh, you know, zines, um, uh, oral histories. Uh, See, it's a we- it's a weird thing,
2: right? Because maybe they weren't people. Do you find our bands actively thinking about their place in history at the time of the situation? Bands
1: aren't. Bands aren't probably, but you but know, you are. usually, usually there's somebody else involved, um, who, you know, this they're, they're setting up the shows. I mean, yep. you know, for, for, for an, for an ecosystem to exist, um, of art or, or anything really, um, you know, there has to be certain. There has to be certain a healthy ecosystem that exists. There has to be certain facets of it. You know, there's the bands, sure. You know, then there's the people, the organizers, the promoters. Uh, there's the documenters, blah blah blah. Um, but you know, I mean, what, what you know, we all know Boston's a transient city. Um, and you know, there's been like a Disneyification, a whitewashing of Boston, you know, for a very long time, almost for my entire time going to shows, you know, since since the mid '90s. And um, so I, I don't. There's no respect issue, but there is a um, there's a lack of continuity. There's a lack of a continuum, and that is because of the nature of Boston. Uh, That it it drives, you know, we're talking about people, we're talking about poor people, working class people, more often than not, Um, uh, you know, and throw in an artist class to that because, you know, most artists don't make any money, especially like the sort of low life uh, in the gutter kind of artists that, um, you know, all of us here uh, might be more interested in. And uh, DIY, you know, um, and, you know, the, Boston as a city drives those kind of people away. Almost by design, uh, perhaps by design. And thus you're left with, um, you're left with, you know, that lack of continuum, that lack of like one generation passing the toss to the next uh Lack of institutions um, that um last across generations. Uh be they venues or zines uh or just individuals. There's just a lack of all of that here. Okay. I think
0: I know what you mean. Definitely I mean just even by the fact that some of the stuff you're mentioning we've like never heard of, you know what I mean? So guess, like
1: right. And you guys, yeah. you guys would be the ones who were you oh, know be would be most interested,
0: right. Yeah, which we do dig through stuff.
1: Uh, of we course, do, like
0: yeah, yeah. So you might where you I think especially where you're getting at with some of these bands from the '90s as well. There, uh, you know, obviously we have to do some more digging, but but I I can know what you're saying. Where it's like why it's like why isn't it more why is it just more more documentation of that you know why you know and and why aren't there more people talking about these bands
1: right well i mean it's it's you know it's a combination of those things yeah um you know and and maybe there is documentation like we're saying but like again like that's that's going back to a time when not everything was on the internet so maybe maybe it just hasn't been put on the internet but i mean as far as like as far as like people talking about it as far as that like Um, institutional knowledge of people still being part of the community who were part of the community then that almost doesn't exist at all because almost everyone who would have been part of such a community no longer lives here because the city sucks so bad
2: I see so you'd almost have to put up like a wanted ad on the internet to get those people that were around like in a, in a yeah to tell to the oral of, history even. yes exactly yeah. maybe maybe we'll start doing that
0: yeah well that's fun. i think thing it's very like interesting yes yeah, yeah. That's uh, absolutely
1: that. no you yeah. guys are doing um, it too you guys are part of this obviously
0: this yeah of, of course i mean in a yeah in our in a small way i think i mean that that's at least one of the things of like the goals of this podcast is just to hear like you even describing and listening to these bands that go are and or rather, like li- listing off these bands and different stuff. Uh, ideally, for I think one and me, like a goal is that people hear more of like these like primary sources of you being saying, like, right. oh, you were there at this thing, at this show, and talking about these bands, these venues, to get a sense of the history um, of not just even Boston, but, but yeah, I mean, definitely like obviously Boston, but just the general underground history and why it's so important today and that's what we, I mean, we will obviously get to today and we don't want to just focus on the past but we definitely that's that's a big part of it for this podcast and that's why a lot of times we do ask people kind of like their own story so then sure. it's like yeah you know and because they were there obviously wherever they were you know and, right. and you know just even in we haven't done too many of these but even in the ones we had you can start to like pull together some, some things, you know, and you can start to pull together uh, some things from the past. And, you know, ideally more people do similar things and that we can get a better idea of why this is so important, why the underground is so important.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can dive deeper into that as well, but I mean, uh, you know, I'll just say like, I think it's awesome that you guys are doing this series and thank you for having me as part of it.
0: Oh yeah, of course. of course, absolutely. Thanks for being on the show. Um, so I, w- I wanted to ask you, like, I know. Uh, so obviously, we're <laughs> we're we're talking about like the '90s. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You started Bodies of Water shows in 2001. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Were you booking shows before that, or was that the first
1: time you started booking shows? No, that's when I started booking shows. Okay. Um, cool. I had. Uh, Yeah, I had played shows. You know, I had been in bands before that, but that was when I moved into the city. Uh, And I I was in college still. Um, And uh, the first shows I booked were at my college, which was Suffolk University, and uh, over at MassArt, uh, where my friend Ben Sisto was booking shows. And then there was also... Uh, and Mass Ave was pretty much the epicenter of the Boston Underground at that point in time, um, and which is a far cry from where it is today. But um, and then there was all there was also an awesome house over in Mission Hill called uh, X House, uh, oh, yeah. which which some um, Mass Hour kids lived at, and uh, I booked a bunch of shows there.
0: Yeah, we had Chris Strunk on the podcast. Um, Recently. I saw. I saw that. I
1: haven't listened, but I, I, I look forward
0: to it. Yeah. yeah, you should check out his zine. Um, obviously, I you were it. you were there, but yeah, he has a zine on house shows. in uh, yeah.
1: 2000. 2000. Oh, I, I, I
0: bought it. it. I bought it. Oh, hell
1: yeah. Um, I bought it, and I, um, several of my venues are in there. Yeah, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so you were booking shows at. Um, so you were booking shows at. At Mass Art and other venues in Boston.
1: Yeah, at that time, um, at that time, that's where I was. You know, that's like that was my first foray. They had a, um, it was, I think it was called uh, Room N eighty one. They just, it was, uh, it was this room right next to this art gallery, student art gallery. They had, and basically, you know, it was available or at least it was available to me, even though I didn't go to Mass Art, but you know, I, I had friends. And they also had a giant, they also had like a giant former gymnasium. Um, oh, actually, well, it wasn't a gymnasium. No, they had like a giant hall and um, I was able to use that for a lot of shows. Uh, probably, I booked shows in Mass Art probably, probably for around uh, on and off for 10 years. And then then the administration over there finally, you know, I don't know if some insurance person said something to them or, or they just got wise to it, but then they, they completely clamped down on anyone outside the college being able to use the spaces. And now, I, you know, I mean, you wouldn't even know it um, if you went over there now unless you knew what it was before, but, you know, they've completely revamped the place and brought it into the... You know, brought it into the year 2020 and it's all fresh and new. And it's just, uh, I don't know, Mass Out used to be wild and it used to be a fun spot. Such is life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you were doing, You, I know you lived at the Haas, where you were living in, at other houses, show houses as well?
1: Um. No. Uh the uh the Haas was my first show house. Oh, yeah. And that Got was two thousand three, into two thousand four. Um actually it's the only show house the only the only real show house I ever lived at. After that I um I attempted to do a few other like living at a spot. I, I tried to get a warehouse over in Everett, like way back when. Uh it never worked out. So I I was just, I was booking clubs for a few years after that and, and other people's houses. Um, And then I had some, you know, I've had various warehouse spaces around the city, but the Haas was, uh, the Haas was the first and only show house. We, we did that pretty hard.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, I've done some uh, research into the Haas and it looks like it was, it just looks like there was a ton of awesome shows there and a lot of fun stuff that uh, I'm just very jealous that I was too young <laughs> to have been there.
1: Yeah, how how old were you guys in 2003? 13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you too, Glenn?
2: Oh, yeah, 12.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say,
2: um, Dan, I don't want to get too off the topic, but I, I don't want to not ask the question while we're sort of on the topic because I don't know if we'll return to it. But we're, was there any yeah. proto-bodies-of-water – People kind of doing the similar thing at the time that you were inspired by, or before that? Oh, then. yeah, yeah. The,
1: yeah, other people. I don't people know if you want to chose. drop some
2: names. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Hell yeah. I yeah. would love to drop some names. Um, so I, I mentioned uh, my friend Ben Sisto. Um, mm-hmm. He was over at MassArt. After MassArt, he, he was heavily involved with um, the making of Great Scott being cool. Um it, it really the only time it was ever cool. Um and um you know and now it's gone. So I mean, right. such is life. Um but yeah, Ben uh Ben was awesome. Uh and uh totally uh, you know, I think we saw each other's peers and um you know, I I'm still I'm still we're still bonded over that. Um he was, yeah. I mean, he booked he booked insane shows over at, uh, at Mass Eye, over at the Berwick, and Dudley Square too. Uh, Any videos? To a lot of cool bands. What's that? Did he video these shows? Yeah. Um, are you asking because you know you know that stuff?
2: The the YouTube stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The same uh, guy, so, right? Yeah, same guy exactly. Uh, so yeah, I interviewed him when he put up his archives, or he started to put up his archives. I don't yep. even think he's done. Um, I, but I interviewed him a year or two back. And yeah, he put up a huge, huge archive of stuff uh, that he was involved with organizing. Um, and uh, yeah, he booked all over the city. So he was pretty inspirational. And then there was also Deb Nicholson. Uh, well, Ben's thing was called Honey Pump Productions. And then there was Deb Nicholson, her thing was called Exemius Productions. And she booked, she, she was really the main noise rock booker. Uh, so like all the stuff that was happening down in Providence, um, Fort Thunder, Load Records, uh, Deb, was, Deb was the first one that, that I was the main person who was making sure that that stuff came to Boston providing a safe place for that stuff in Boston because there was a lot of hate from Providence toward Boston at that time, you know, rightfully so. I didn't understand it yet. But, uh, um, so, you know, she was booking your lightning bolts, your, um, six finger satellites, your Aragon radars, only sound system, uh, throne of blood. Wow. I don't know what else, you know, but like all that loaded record stuff and beyond more, you know, Bulb Records, uh, you know, on a Chicago or Minnesota, uh, Skin Graft, oh, Skin Graft out of Chicago. Um, You know, all all that kind of stuff. The the heady Noise Rock, you know, for your flying Luttenbacher's and and all the rest. Um, You know, Deb was the one who was onto that shit Um, and introduced me to a, a huge world of that kind of stuff. Um, there's also a woman named Stacey Slotnick, who was, she was booking more, her thing was called uh, Critique of Pure Reason, um, and she did, she, she was more, like, indie rock oriented or whatever, but, you know, um, she booked some cool stuff, she she was booking some, you know, K-Record stuff, like I was booking, uh, I think maybe, for one of the first times I saw the microphones, you know, it was probably through her um, and that kind of
0: stuff. And yeah, it's funny you mentioned uh, K Records. Um, as soon as you had said the uh, the indie thing, I don't know why, but in my head, I like immediately like thought of K Records.
1: Yeah, I mean they're, I mean they're an institution.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: and. Um, you know, I, I don't think there, uh, around the time I started booking shows, 2001, Yeah. I mean, I was really into a lot of K-record stuff, uh, and that was really my bread and butter, and that's, that's how I first started getting into booking shows, to be honest with you, and, um, it was just, um... I don't know. I think I think it was their like second renaissance, uh, really, with Mira Wolf, Colonel Mount Erie, um, uh, Dennis Driscoll, Carl Blau, uh, all these. Uh, uh, what's name? A volcano there. I forget the name, uh, K- Kayla, Kayla, uh, what's her face? The, the woman who um, woman who went on to make movies Kim there. Dawson? Uh, oh. Not Kimia Dawson, but I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, I think Kimia Dawson had something to do with Kayla. Yeah, she was on um, K a
0: few years after, like, like I think- O-C- A few years
1: after, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, what's her name? Um, hmm. I think her last name's Flower something like that she made some i think she's a scientologist also um I don't know. her name's escaped me anyway anyway there was a lot of great music on k records yeah. at the time um and yeah that's where I, that, that's where my head was at honestly uh, and you know that's you know so i was trying my hand at like making some acoustic music at that inspired by all that some tweet yeah probably um i hate that term Uh, yeah me too it
2: doesn't really seem to go with you
1: no i know but you didn't know me when i was 21 (laughs) (laughs) that's true you didn't know me when i was 21 i like like i started off in the punk scene but i was really i was really By the time I was 20, 21, I was really turned off by Boston's punk scene because it was very uh, narrow-minded, at least what I was aware of. Um, And it was really oriented toward like UK 82 style punk, uh, pogo punk um, stuff, you know, derivative of the partisans and the exploited. Uh, Bands like The Unseen were like number one dogs. And then there was a lot of oi too, which I, you know, I I liked some oi, but there was, you know, most of oi is horrendous. Um, And it just really turned me off. Um, Like I didn't know, I didn't know my shit about hardcore yet. And um, so, you know, I was looking for the same philosophy in different music. And uh, K Records was definitely um, a safe place. And booking those bands is really how I got my stock booking, like booking K Records bands. How'd that go? Okay, cool. Went amazing. <laughs> uh,
2: the mechanics of it.
1: Oh, the, the mechanics of booking it. Um, I mean, I, I mean, you know, that's that's how I found out how the mechanics work. You know, uh, bands were on tour. Uh, Wolf Colonel, uh, who put out records on K Records, Jason Anderson, the guy's actual name. He still puts out records, but it's a lot different than the records. He was putting out a lot of music that sounded like guided by voices.
2: Is that uh, the dude, I think I, does he, is he sort of like Noah Britton? Uh,
1: who's Noah Britton?
0: Uh, like Request Freebird, oh
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Um... Like no, kind of let, less outsider, less, less strain-joyed outsider. I mean, really, mm. like back then, he sounded like guided by voices. Uh Now, he, he's not really, um, I don't think he's really overly active now, but I mean, his, his past decade of music has been like all about Bruce Springsteen, which I'm not the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan. Uh, or, or a fan of Bruce Springsteen at all, to be honest with you. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I think he fucking sucks.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I never got the appeal really. All that. I mean, no. I, I don't. as I this artist I hate way more, but I just don't really get the appeal of it either.
1: Yeah, I would say that that describes you know without getting me down into the ditches. I would say that <laughs> describes my feelings. <laughs> yeah. Um. But anyway. Um, uh, I don't know. What are we talking about here? Sorry, um, Anyway, <laughs> Jason, Jason... Oh, yeah, the mechanics. Jason's from New Hampshire, and and he's an amazing guy. Like, he is so inspirational. Um, I'm sure he still is. But he was... Like, he's just, like, such, like, a positive... He's a teacher in, like, New York or upstate New York. I don't... I haven't talked to him in a few years, but we, we continue to cross paths on occasion because... We're still both invested in, essentially, the overall underground music, you know. And the world becomes smaller once you've done it for a long time, like I have, uh, and he has. But um, he lived in New Hampshire. So I I think that's, I, I don't, like, I was so into Mira's music. And so I think I needed to do a show for Mira. And then I found out this guy lived in New Hampshire, and he was on K Records, and that just blew my mind. And so, uh, I started a like a, definitely like a booking relationship. Um, you know, and I was in a band um, at the time. Definitely like probably two tweak and blah blah blah. We're not going to get into that, but um, <laughs> you know, um, you know, we played some shows together. But I mean, he was up in New Hampshire, and and he there, there was a band called Tiger Saw, um, which was like a pretty. I guess they were pretty in New rock or whatever. And they were from, uh, they were from Newburyport um, or somewhere around, there, somewhere around there. So, you know, there were shows going on like around, you know, that nexus. Um, and I, I also just want to mention a, an historically amazing space, which actually came up quasi recently. You guys uh, follow the, uh, um, what is it even called? Uh, oh man, what's it called? My buddy runs it, Steve Quicks. Um, it's it's a anyway it's a it's an Instagram handle. It's Boston Punk Show Flyers, or I think it's something cooler than that, I like the name of it. But anyway, he's posting. He posts punk and hardcore show flyers from uh, I think two thousand to. Man, I don't, no, not 2000. It must. Oh, from like 92 to 2012
0: or something. Oh wow! Yeah, I'd, from, like to, I'd like yeah, to. Yeah, you that. guys know that.
1: I, well, I mean, just hit hit me up after. But I mean, like, it's so okay. amazing. It's so amazing because not only is it a reminder of all these shows I went to, but it's also a reminder of all these shows I didn't go to.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that happens a lot. For, I, mean, I find that for me anyway. Like when I'm looking at shit, it's just like. And,
1: you know, I'm like, oh, fuck. Right. Like I, know, I, we always, I miss that show.
2: We always picture you going to all the shows, Dan.
1: Well, I mean, there was a time. Um, but I mean, again, there were different scenes, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, this is like the punk scene. And, and um, you know, like I'm telling you, like, like I, was disillus- I was disillusioned with punk in the very early 2000s uh, for a couple of years. And so, like, I didn't really go to a lot of punk shows during that time. Um, not that I was ever fully away from it. And, like, suddenly, when I got to my house, the Haas, um, you know, I immediately reached out to my punk brothers and sisters and, and, you know, got them involved in the house because it wasn't just about the shows I was booking. It was a real community space. But anyway, I, I bring all that up to say that I was reminded, um, I was reminded of this amazing space called the Cluster Odd Space, which um, I think I, I saw Calvin Johnson from K Records at for the first time. And I also played a couple shows there with uh early bands of mine. And it was this incredible like it was an art space and it was in Gloucester. And you know, times were different. Um so it was it was kind of just like this um this oasis in the middle of nowhere uh, that you know you had to travel to and it was really cool and it was it was run by this guy, I think his name was Shep, and his claim to fame like the place was littered with his like art like he was an artist or some guy um three-dimensional artist and his claim to fame was that he had written the story for the 80 early 80s mid 80s um zombie horror movie called chud chud you ever seen that
0: I've heard of it. I've actually never seen it.
1: I think it's cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Anyway, so this guy had written he had written, I think, the story that that movie was based on. Um, And perhaps with his residuals he opened up the space. I don't know what became of that guy, but that was sort of my, you know, I I was going to shows in um, I was going to shows in clubs and stuff in Boston. Boston didn't really have an art space kind of thing, the place where, like, people were looking out for the artists, at least not that I, that I uh, got to take part in. Again, like, when I came into the city, there were houses, and there was, like, the Harvest Co-op in Alston that was doing, um, that was doing, like, anarcho-punk shows uh, and that kind of stuff. But again, like, I didn't, I never got to uh, get out there I never got to go to those shows and uh, this was just kind of like a wake up call that sort of the the idea of underground music culture that like I had like um, I had become really interested in uh, and I had really associated with the Pacific Northwest uh, because of all the different labels out there especially K Records but there were others too like Sympathy for the record industry, I think. and uh, um, Maybe I'm wrong on that. But, uh, it? It's a great Killed Rock, label. Killed Rock Stars. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was definitely in Oregon, I think. But anyway, the Pacific North, and obviously Sub Pop, um, the Pacific Northwest was sort of like, like when I was this age, the Pacific Northwest was like this holy land um, that I didn't understand... Because that kind of culture didn't exist in Boston. And it still doesn't. Uh, And, you know, I don't know how much it exists out there. But anyway, going to this Gloucester art space uh, and especially seeing Calvin Johnson there um, kind of opened my eyes to like, whoa, you know, you can have a space um, for... Artists, you know, who are completely non-commercial, you know, completely selling this like, you know, what uh, essentially like a like a socialist, more of a socialistic like out out uh, point of view uh, toward how music culture can be, you know, I certainly wasn't saying socialist then or for a long time, but uh, I mean that's essentially I think what it comes down to. I, I, I you know. There's a lot of socialism in a lot of uh, these underground music scenes. Um, I think that's the basis of where a lot of it comes from. So yeah, socialism. Uh, no, just uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what are we talking about? The fucking two thousands here? Two thousand
0: one. Two thousand one to two thousand whatever yeah
1: i I think the thing I'll mention is a
0: rundown you know, of it
1: this is uh you know this is this is an era where Boston underground culture was dying, independent culture was dying the, the Phoenix was going down the tubes um, i i um I did my first foray into a music festival.
0: Oh yeah, I think I actually saw that on in my in my research.
1: Yeah, two thousand five, two thousand six. Yeah, um, yep, yep. Uh, ben Sisto, who I mentioned before, and Den Nicholson, who I mentioned before, and then this other guy, TD Seidel, who was in this uh, band, um, Big Digits, who I put out. Um, a CD oh yeah, song. um, they were Big Digits. They were, they were, awesome.
0: Yeah, um, they were like, on the Hassle uh, comp pin.
1: Yes, they were on the pin, Um, and anyway, uh, the four of us, you know, we did two years, uh, 2005-2006, of this festival called Nest, which um, stood for Northeast Sticks Together, which is, you know, uh, in hindsight, kind of crappy, but I mean, whatever, like, it took us forever to come up with a name. Anyway, the idea was just to try to create, like, a uh, a local, heavy, uh, mixed-with-touring acts um, of some note festival um, that, you know, uh, the multi, multi-show multi passes. So sort of a, I hadn't been yet, but sort of a uh, South by Southwest uh, um, sort of uh, template, uh, and it didn't work. It didn't go it didn't go great uh it went okay i mean there were certainly great shows but you know we were a great scott the paradise o'briens um
0: paradise wow seems pretty yeah
1: great. even so, uh yeah some stuff of the paradise you know not everything uh not everything was the paradise but um i mean we we're all over the place i don't even Yeah, you know i don't even know i want like probably the middle east Probably the Cloud Stars, maybe Charlie's. I mean, just everywhere, everywhere. Um, You know, some... Maybe the Democracy Center. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, But it's just this... uh, uh, There's just no... Anyway, that kind of shit's not going to work in this town. um, Unfortunately. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of tried the model again with Hasselfest ten, which will probably be the last Hasselfest, um, and you know that probably sums it up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. So yeah, when are we getting to when you started Boston Hassle in two thousand nine, right or ten or? I don't
1: know. Um. Well, it officially started in 2011. I mean, really, the oh. um, the birth of Boston Hassle is um, basically the coming together of me and Sam Patrakis, um to work toward a common goal, um, which uh, turned out to be a failure. But uh, that's what it was. Um, and that, that was how things changed from bodies of water. Um, for me, uh, to Boston Hassel, uh, I did keep the Bodies of Water name going for several years to use as the moniker for any illicit shows we did at house venues or warehouses. Um, you know, after Boston Hassle started, but more or less once 2011 came around, like most of the shows I was doing were under the Boston Hassle name,
0: right. Yeah, and when we met you, I can remember. Well, you had emailed us actually. Uh, I got to look for the email, but ah, this was 2011. I think you were just like, yeah, I think it may have been about the button or something. I'm not sure. Oh, but. have you guys write about it? No, I'm, yeah. no maybe. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know. But I think
1: we wrote. Hey, about you guys it are anyway. cool.
0: Want to write about my button? Yeah.
1: No, yeah. Well, right. No. Exactly. <laughs>
0: If that's we were, not
1: what it was, what was it? Well, it was
0: probably something like that, but it was, I remember you guys, yeah, you were like, keep up good work and shit or whatever, but something like that, I don't know, they're on those lines, but then we met you in person at Gay Gardens, in November 19th, 2011. Ah, what,
1: what, what show
0: was that? Bad History Month, Florida Equals Death, Big Mess, and Sarah Lee.
1: Nice.
0: Yeah. Yes, it I remember it uh, vividly.
1: Wow, Florida equals death. I think they're still going. That is a good band right there. Oh wow! You remember them?
0: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They're from Connecticut, right?
1: Yeah, from Connecticut. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're not a band name, but i booked them a bunch of times over the years. They are a pretty fantastic band.
2: Can you imagine at that time you were, you were a veteran of, of decades, yeah, right? Decades in the underground, and that was. We were literally just kind of starting. We were afraid to go up to people and socialize. Yeah. We were just kind of. We were. We so, just,
0: so
1: was I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was really um, kind of intimidating at first, but I guess you just go to more shows and you start to, you know, recognize more people and what have you. But
2: we arrived yeah, at mean, the you venue. You'd arrive at the venue at seven p.m. It would start around <laughs> ten. And we would wait in the front of the front of the basement, in front of the microphone. The PA hadn't even been set up yet. And just wait for the show. Well, oh yeah, begin. we would get Those yeah, we would get
0: these places so early. <laughs> and like just like we would at regular clubs. Like we would be there like obnoxiously early in front of the stage. There was even a few times where we um were like rocking out front of the stage thinking the show had <laughs> started and it was it was just sound check <laughs> you know. i mean you know
1: i mean you live you learn right
0: yeah so i hope so but
1: well, I mean, you know you know you know kudos to you guys you know for um braving uh the i mean gay gardens was pretty welcoming um yeah and, and you, know, it, you know that that's the kind of thing that's necessary and you know nice. that's the kind of thing that you know. I think all my efforts to create, uh, recreate, you know, that kind of thing for me, you know, like I, I didn't really come into a you know the punk scene was never really welcoming to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's how you get people to stick with it. That's how you get people involved. That's how you build it up. Um, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Is by, you know, creating community from the get-go. Um, especially people who, with people who are enthusiastic uh, about, you know, what's happening and, you know, doing something against the grain. Um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see what Boston's like after this fucking pandemic, but I really think, you know, I don't think there's going to be any old school clubs left. This is the clearing of house. Um, this is worse so than this 2012? Is, this is, worse than 2012 I, I mean yeah absolutely I mean tw- you know 2012 was cracked down on I mean I assume this is what you're alluding to uh, cracked down on house shows um, which is obnoxious and disgusting but mm-hmm. um, I mean after this I mean I, I don't know where house shows gonna be at uh, house shows always survive there's always kids willing to do house shows and fucking house. and then, yeah. that will always happen I mean whether whether they're awesome people are not. It. Um, it doesn't mean that awesome stuff won't be happening in Austin because it probably can't. Uh, j- just if people ha- are going to have venues, people are always going to do venues in Austin. Though. And if you're, if you're trying to, and if the people don't suck completely, then you'll be able to, but I'm talking about the actual above ground, legitimate venues. Uh, it's being decimated. Um, right. You know, And this isn't a town where there's hardly anything to begin with. Um, So after this pandemic, I mean, it's going to be a new dawn. There's not going to be anything. It's going to be a start from scratch, um, to be honest with you, uh, the way things are going. And um, that can either be good or bad, or maybe it won't matter. Oh, well, it's going to create a vacuum, and perhaps something awesome can fill the void. Um, you know, I have some tricks up my sleeve, and I'm not ready to really talk about it too much because I don't want certain people to know what I'm up to. <laughs> um, Fair enough. but The nature you know, of Boston. I, I mean, sad, sadly, sadly. Um But, um, you know, the whole – the template, the the way of being for live music clubs is completely cast into doubt in 2020. And we've seen so many places already shut down. I mean, obviously, we've been seeing places shut down for years. Uh, You know, what is – Boston will not move forward for very long without there being live music fans. Right? So what kind of shitty, you know, what kind of big money people are going to come forward to open up new music venues? It's probably not going to be good, but maybe there's alternative ways to go about it. Mm. We shall see. Oh, wow.
2: That's, that's, a, that's pretty deep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's always going to be the illegal venues. There's always going to be the houses. Right. You know, obviously up here, there's not much in the name of where, you know, in the way of warehouses, um, unfortunately. So illegitimate spaces, you know. What do you think about
2: repurposing legitimate spaces for alternative uses? I know you've probably been thinking about this shit for twenty years.
1: Repurposing what kind of spaces?
2: legitimate spaces that might not be exclusive to music production but to to allow that component in
1: give me an example
2: like an auto body shop Mm. so you're talking
1: about like like opening up a legitimate venue or an illegitimate venue in an auto body shop
2: that's a that's a great question
1: right I mean, so I mean, it's like a lot. A lot depends on like what co- COVID nineteen leaves us with. You know I mean? Like, you know, like there's a lot of us out here praying that it drives the yuppies from the city. You know, it stops Boston's like uh, um, uh seemingly inexorable drive toward destruction of. um anything that is not, you know, fancy and, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, of the upper class, uh, that is where Boston's been heading for many years. And, and, you you know, you see, you know, the only housing Boston seems to add are luxury condos. Uh, <laughs> you know, none of that's for us. But, you know, hopefully this has thrown a wrench into the gears in some way. And there's going to be vacant storefronts that can take a chance on on different kinds of things that, you know, aren't, um, like, a jewelry store or, like, a fancy tea shop or... um,
2: The seaport underground.
1: Yeah, well, I I don't know if the seaport's ever going to be breached, but, (laughs) you know, hopefully... I mean, the seaport is just... I mean, that's a a really sad story right there, but, um, you know, hopefully this is going to loosen the grip of capitalism and this real estate bubble that's existed here in Boston for so long uh, on the city so that, you know, maybe somebody can get something interesting done. Yeah. I, I think I don't know. Yeah.
0: Also, I don't know <laughs> what you think about this and I can already think some people being like, nah, what I'm going to say. But about just also I maybe potentially people moving a little bit out of this city for show, I don't mean like moving like they're moving where they live, but like just there being more shows outside of like the same like four or five towns or whatever you know what I mean
1: Well, it has to, I mean what are you thinking
0: what do you think Give me a- well, I'm just saying even like you know how um I don't know, just anywhere around there's so much around the state and New England as a whole that, you know, I feel like there's so many different places, but even just like, so like where we're from Wakefield, like, I don't know there would be anything, you know, around there, but somewhere in between in that area. I don't know. I feel like just like other like towns, I don't know. It could potentially happen if people are willing to go out a little bit further out of the way for a show. I don't know.
1: I mean, it could happen. There's, um, I mean, here's the thing. Like, Boston, the Boston's unique. The thing that makes Boston unique is the is the college population. Um, right, that's true. Yeah, but the college population is, by its nature, transitory, and mm-hmm. thus, you know, isn't going to be around to support whatever might crop up for very long. So I mean, honestly, I like Boston, like Boston. Boston as a city, like, is fucked. Um, and, it, you know, I, I can see, you know, it's been fucked for 20 years. And it's not getting any better. The government sucks. Um, the government is, you know, there's, there seems to be no understanding that all these moves to get people in the luxury condos is, you know, or, or they just don't care. Is, is, is literally displacing the art, artistic class, um, the musician class. Um, it's gonna be a fucking mess. Uh, it's gonna get uglier and it's gonna be sadder. So the, the answer is on the, on the periphery of the city, because you want it to be, you wanna be able to engage the audience um, for the sake of the shows and for the sake of the communities um, that the college is here um, and the eternal spring of the youth uh, that the colleges provide uh, you need to do something something needs to happen where uh, that can continue to be tapped into but you get free of the you know the horrible the horrible uh, situation that is Boston and Cambridge and Somerville are much better, but the governments in those cities are at least more amenable to the arts. Boston is Boston is just fucked. Boston is crazy, crazy. I I just can't imagine. Like I, I'm sure this place is the worst. But and you've interacted
2: with officials?
1: Oh yeah, I mean yeah yeah yeah. I, I'm not talking from like a place of just like pure hypothesis. I'm uh. Yeah, I, I've interacted with a lot of officials. I've put some questions to officials and, and gotten really disgusting answers. Um, just sad. Just sad stuff. Um, yeah, I, Boston is just not a town. The, the, like, cultures that exist around music communities is something that Boston doesn't want. Right. They don't want it And it's so it's not going to, it's not going to exist. It's going to be stamped out. I mean, if not purposefully, then by, you know, neglect of anything they could foster it. (laughs) So, I mean, it's the fringes of the city, you know, it's places like Malden. I was going to say Malden, actually. Malden, you know, Quincy, (sighs) Revere. Everett, Chelsea, Um, right? You know, some of these places are harder to get to than others. You know, even like even like Waltham. I don't know a lot about what the government's like in Waltham, but you know, like Moody Street is awesome. Not that it has music venues, but uh, you know, uh, it's going to be that kind of thing. I I don't know, but you know, or Somerville and Cambridge. But Boston is a Boston is a uh, a rough Rough beast, you know. Hopefully, Dudley Square will see some black oriented um, music venues pop up that you know uh, will hopefully benefit like the whole, uh, but we shall see.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and like the towns you mentioned, are, are, I think definitely like closer to what then I, I, you know, obviously, like I said, we're you know, we're from. Wakefield, which is a lot, a little bit further out. Um, but I meant, you know, anywhere really that, that like just it giving it more options. And I, cause I realized that is a little bit further. And like you said, it might be difficult for people to get out to the shows and stuff like that. If they're in further away. But well,
1: I mean, it's just a matter of, I mean, sure. Something could happen in Wakefield, but it would have to be by, it would have to be happening via someone who had money to sustain a lot of failure. It's true. Yeah. Um, you know, be, because I, I, you know, I think if someone, if someone created an epicenter for subcultural offerings, like anywhere in the vicinity of Boston, Worcester, um, then I think it would work. But it, it's just a matter of, you know, how much wiggle room there is, how much padding for such an attempt. Um, Right. And, and, and you know the idea of someone with money uh, wanting to help these communities and cultures exist is an exotic yeah. thought. It's, uh, it's not. It's not something that's going to come along very often. Uh, right. You know, if you're listening to this, not how I get in touch, um, but you know, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, you brought up a good point that. Uh, I think it's just is absolutely true that yeah, a lot of these people anyone with money that would be investing it you know or a lot of these towns just straight up just don't want the crowd or the culture that might bring that the shows bring you know mm-hmm. what i mean which is it sucks well that, that you know, I,
1: that's a huge point right there yeah is
0: exactly that, yeah
1: so there's nowhere that's like calling for this to happen
0: right and Unfortunately, like you were saying, like this yuppie crap is just like keeps getting it just keeps getting worse and worse. Where it just keeps building up, and that's the total opposite of well, I mean of crap, you know. This the well, show kind of audience. Crap. I
1: mean, to to me, you know, to me when I say yuppie, I mean like white people, white people who like are striving for suburban comfort. Like Trump is talking about now He's, you know, he's trying to appeal to, um, you know, and and that is, you know, that is the antithesis of everything I want in life. And like, you know, culture is not, um, to me, you know, cu- culture is about people striving in their environment. Um, you know, I think that creates culture. That's what culture is. And in Boston, the people who are striving to make things happen in their environment are pushed out. Are forced to leave, whether they're white, whether they're black, whether they're from Boston or they came there to make something happen. Um, you know, they're pushed out. And that's what Boston's all about, you know. I think you know. I think that's the that's the neoliberal uh, philosophy, uh, and and um, you know the various cultures that comprise our overall culture. Uh, you know, re- re- revolving around the making of art, uh, the. The space for mistakes to happen, for creativity to bloom, uh, that gets trampled on and extinguished, um, and that is—that's the environment we live in here in Boston. Sad. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. C- Chris. I think Chris can state this better than me, but it, it's a question that we, we often wonder amongst ourselves is uh, about the, the having like legitimate venues that sort of nurture more underground stuff. Chris, I don't know, do you want to explain that better than I just did?
0: Um, I'm not sure actually what you're uh, saying. Um, what is it exactly? What's the question?
2: Uh, just talking about.
1: I, I think I could feel it. Up. Oh yeah, you do okay. feel it. Um, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan. <laughs> I mean, I think you, I mean you, you guys have been around. I know you go down to Memphis, and you know, I know you've been out of the cities. Like you know, you go to these places, and you see that there are venues there that allow people to come in and do their thing, um, and you, good or bad, uh, practiced or not and they come in and they're able to do it, get some feedback, you know, maybe they can do it again. Um, and they grow from that, and they, and they learn, and they, um, and they hone their skills. Uh, Boston is completely devoid of that. Boston's artistic culture is completely devoid of that. There's no room made for the growing portion for the experimental portion, for the emerging portion, for the uh, thought-provoking portion of creators, yeah, specifically music, but it goes beyond that to art of all, of all kinds. Boston is a place where that middle ground does not exist, um, and I think if you you know if you go to any other cities that have a healthier Um, music and art ecosystem, you will find that the health of that ecosystem is based around the existence of those kind of venues and spaces, performing art spaces, that you were just alluding to, Glenn, Um, and maybe the specifics that you guys want to bring up in places you've been, uh, but, you know, that is what's lacking here. Okay. Is that where yeah, you're I talking Glenn, am I, am, I, am I near what you were thinking?
2: Yes,
0: absolutely. Okay, okay so Glenn, you, you guys are saying like more uh, legitimate venues but that are embracing more underground kind of sounds, I guess, or more experimental.
1: You're able to give space to it. Yeah, you know, uh, okay. in, in Boston, um, because of real estate, uh, you know, because of a lot of things, but I think mostly because of real estate and also the, the quagmire, gerrymandered manner that alcohol licenses are passed out. Um, it's very difficult for people to make a living off of a space that would provide such an environment. Uh, and, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You know, these places exist in other cities, whether it's fleetingly or not. Here in Boston, we are forced to completely, for this sort of community, for this sort of scene, we're forced to completely depend on the house show. Right. Uh, yeah, circuit, okay. I okay, yeah. Which, you know, creates all sorts of problems. I love house shows, and, you know, I love house venues and they're doing they're doing amazing work but i mean they shouldn't be the only places in the fucking city right to house um this sort of philosophical way of creating music but here in boston that's the case and it creates a whole a whole bunch of problems you know, which, you know, in the worst case scenario, you go back to 2012 and you see that crackdown by the cops on house show. It hasn't happened since, but uh, no one's saying it won't happen again.
0: Right. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. It's, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough, too, because as we were saying before, it's like coming out of this pandemic, you know, if nothing survives, at the very least, is the house shows, but then that's
1: other problem right there. Right. I mean, as far as we're concerned, I mean, like Boston, I mean, I I say Boston's dead all the time. You know, you guys know, I talk about suck city and, you know, this is, this is what, you know, this is what I mean is, is this lack of this middle ground. This is lack of, um, I guess for lack of a better terminology, I'll say, um, middle class performance spaces. um, which means, you know, it's it's above a basement because it's above board, but you know, it still caters to the people, the crowd that goes to a basement and the reasons, right. okay. the reasons they go there. Those kind of venues are not allowed to exist here, um, and. Uh, through quick examination it's easy to see why and the very few places where it was allowed to exist you know even if even if the um, uh, the proprietors of the venue are whack wacko or horrible um, you know those places are now closing down you, know, you can't lounge I know you guys had a relationship over there uh, you know I booked a lot of shows there for a little while so I couldn't take it anymore Um, and and now that's gone right so I mean you know I don't you know something's got to happen after this something has to
2: so when do you think when do you think live music will return indoors
1: I was talking to my buddy Jason Hook about that just today and he said he's <laughs> man. Uh, he he loves live music um, you know he loves hardcore and you know I, I didn't we didn't get too far deep into it but he you know I put that question to him and he said summer of 2021 and you know, I, sure, you know, I, I don't have any better gauge or guess. Uh, I certainly, certainly, will be at least that long. I would think.
0: Yeah, we've asked uh, the, just about everyone that question. We've actually had uh, we've heard even later than that, but uh, most yeah. people say so either around then or or. or for then but A couple falls in there yeah yeah fall 2020 yeah, some people fall say 20. fall 2020 some people say fall 2021 fall 2020 uh, no way <laughs> no yeah it's that's not happening but also that was like a few months ago i think when people said oh, you yeah. know right. i think that was probably in like may or june when someone was saying that but uh yeah no that that that's i don't see that happening
2: just got to get uh, creative with the outdoors
1: yeah yeah right. well, I mean, you know Boston's not good for that either, obviously. Um, right. Uh, but you know, I mean uh, yeah, I mean you know like who e- even if outdoor music opportunities like start to get offered up, I mean, who do you think they're going to get offered up to? Do you think we're going to get those opportunities? The art I bomb. mean we're going ha- to have to make them happen if we get those opportunities, and I don't know. I got, you know, like the hassle just got into the streaming, um, thing. And, you know, that's honestly, you know, like the slowness of us to get into it is just like, honestly, due to the lack of enthusiasm about it, um, you know, uh, you know, now we're doing shows and each show is a fundraiser, um, and, you know, that's cool, you know, and, And that's really the motivation and, you know, doing a little, making sure that we, you know, stay connected and all that, but it's just, you know, it's, I'm not, I've never done any of this to do online shows. You know what I mean? It's it's all about the, it's all about the intangibles of the live experience and everything that comes with that. And I, I know you guys come from the same place. Uh, it's, about, you know, it's about creating that physical community. You remove all that, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to get excited, to be honest, with you. for me anyway.
0: Agreed. Um, I've checked out some of the streaming, but it, it definitely, uh, it, there's, it's it just, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult because it reminds you that you're not <laughs> an actual show, you know? Right. Um, yeah.
1: You know, I mean, it's hard. I mean you know we're all coming from a relatively same place you know my you know much of my social situation for the past 20 years you know has revolved around shows and whatnot. you yeah. know so it's it, it, it's hard and it's you know and, it, and it's um you know and it's sad uh obviously we've got to do what we have to do but you know it, it it is an opportunity to, you know, think about, you know, how we've we've been spending, you know, our time and where we've been spending our time and to whom the money goes to for the spending of our time (laughs) and all that. You know, uh, that's why, you know, I, I don't have huge problems with Great Scott. You know, like I was saying earlier, like at one point in time, I think it was an awesome space and um, it was exciting. You know, I'm long past that, you know, Bowery's taken over um, over there and, you know, um, you know, I'm glad they raised money. I, I, you know, I know they're not opening up back in that space or whatever, but, you know, they raised $200,000 to like try to save that space. I mean, that space, it's insane. Um, it blows my mind, and it makes me a little bit sad, uh, but it also gives me a lot of ideas. So, um, we shall see. Um, you know, we shall see if Great Scott—I mean, Great Scott's not going to reopen. It. I, I kind of doubt that they would use the same name, even if you know Carl is able to utilize that money in a different space or whatever. But I mean, even if they open up that space somewhere else, it's going to be it's going to be a pipeline for Bowery Presents. You know, it's not going to be a local space, just like Great Scott has been a local space. You know, it's not a place that fosters the local music community. It's just a place that people could go that was, you know, it was the main place in the main young people, art-centric area of Boston. Um, Yeah,
2: that's worth saying because it's it yeah it Chris and I we always discussed the great Scott myth, the great how you know once yeah. it once it was announced it was closing closing, there was all these memorials and with good reason, but some of the stuff about it being you know, you know an avenue for tons of local bands, maybe at one time, but I hadn't seen that in recent years,
1: absolutely, yeah, but I mean even if it was an avenue it was again outside of our purview like yeah not not what we're interested in right you know like and it's just like I don't know, the whole great scott save great scott thing and then like raising all that money it just like blew my mind in not a good way um but you know um again like the environment we're going to be faced with after COVID, when places when we are able to do live music again, is going to be like fucking Mad Max out there. It's gonna, not, it's not gonna be anything. It's gonna be a wild west situation, and we'll see how the voids are filled.
2: You have twenty seconds. Any final plugs?
1: I have twenty seconds. Yes, sir. Um, I don't know what to say. Um, people just need to think about how they how they support their music community and through what needs. They need to think about that. Everybody needs to think about that.
0: <sighs> yeah.